This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village podcast, and today we get to hang out with an expert here in talking to kids about death. I interviewed Allie Waltine for our book, Tiny Humans, Big Emotions, coming out in October 2023, because we really needed to chat about what does it look like to support kids' emotional development while talking to them about tricky subjects and things that are going to come with a lot of adult emotions as well, death being one of those. I love Allie's insight and her practical scripts and approach to chatting with kids. It's so in alignment with my approach to emotional development and building emotional intelligence in kids. After I interviewed her for our book, I was like, oh my gosh, we have to chat about this on the podcast. It's so crucial. And so if this conversation is helpful for you today, know that there are more examples and scripts and resources about talking to kids about death in our book, Tiny Humans, Big Emotions, you can snag it at seedandsow.org slash book. All right, folks, let's dive in. Hey there, I'm Alyssa Blass Campbell. I'm a mom with a master's degree in early childhood education and co-creator of the Collaborative Emotion Processing Method. I'm here to walk alongside you through the messy, vulnerable parts of being humans raising other humans with deep thoughts and actionable tips. Let's dive in together. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Voices of Your Village. Today, I get to hang out with an old friend of mine. Allie Waltine has a master's. She's a licensed clinical psychologist and a certified child life specialist. I reached out to Allie when I was writing Tiny Humans, Big Emotions because we got to this part where I was like, oh, I really want to talk about the emotional aspect about how to help kids process death. And the do's and don'ts, if you will, about talking about sickness and death. And it's one of those things that I think all of us 
grew up with different experiences around it and it can come with a lot of feelings for us uh, as the adult. And so I turned to Allie. Allie started her career in 2008 as a certified child life specialist here at UVM, her children's hospital. And a child life specialist, actually, Ellie, you could probably break this down better than anyone. First of all, hi. Hi. hi how are you? <laughs> um, can you break down what does a child life specialist do? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. So child life specialists do a lot, but the the nuts and bolts of it is that child life specialists are usually found in medical facilities. So originally like originated out of being in the hospital, but helping to support kids and families in coping with medical stressors. And that can look a lot of different ways. So there are child life specialists helping families think about how do we prepare children for a hospitalization or a medical procedure? How do we deliver information in developmentally appropriate ways to a child who's going to be going through a complex medical experience? How do we support siblings who have a brother or sister or a sibling who's in the hospital or has medical complication? Um, and then at the heart of it, child life specialists really connect with kids through play. So we're also finding ways to promote healthy growth and development through play and normalization in hospital settings. So child life specialists, that's like a quick, quick version yeah of what they do, but, um, yeah, that's so interesting because like, actually in my brain, I think of child life specialists, or maybe I'd like turn to them the most when it's like a parent or a caregiver family member who's going to be in the hospital or uh, a friend of ours who had cancer. And, um, we reached out to a child life specialist to support the tiny human through this, et cetera. I, in my brain, I don't think of it as like a child being sick, maybe self-protective. And I really think of it more as like the adult. It's interesting. Yeah. That's where it actually originated from was pediatrics. So helping kids cope with their own hospitalizations or medical interventions. And actually just really recently in the past, I would say decade, has it expanded to look at the entire family um, and to support things that are like medically complex outside of even the hospital setting. Yeah, that's cool. I'm grateful for that expansion because I think it then includes so many more humans. Oh, so agree with that. <laughs> um, can you, let's kickstart here of like, what is, what, when we're looking at supporting children who are experiencing loss, I want to look first at that, like the, the family member side, like if they have a family member who has an illness or um, is dying or dies, like the do's of how to navigate this. And I want to hit on some don'ts. I've learned so much from you on that side as well. Yeah. I actually have a cool list somewhere that um, I just think is so powerful because it was written by children and teens. Um, I used to do, when I worked at the hospital, I co-facilitated a grief support group for kids who had experienced the loss of a loved one. And in one of our groups, we asked kids to brainstorm like the things that were helpful to them versus like the things that were not helpful for them. So basically like the do's and the don'ts. And I have that list somewhere. I can probably pull it up on my computer because we um, got permission from them to like share it at presentations and things because it was just, it was 
I mean, they, they really said it in, in that. And what struck me about that list too, um, the part that I liked the most was that there were the same things like on the do's and the don'ts list, because we're all different, right? So what was helpful for one child was not helpful for another. Like I, I can remember one of them was like, I hate it when my teacher asks me like how I'm doing in that, you know, voice and, it's just so awkward. And I, when I'm at school, I just want to be at school and I, I want to be like not thinking about it versus another child who is just like, it's really helpful when my teacher pulls me aside and like checks in on me. Mm, that is so interesting. Yeah. That individualized part. Um, yeah. When we're looking, one of the things that you mentioned that we used for the book was that specific to like, be really clear with your language. And I think that's something like, I didn't grow up with that, right? Like I was thinking back to the first funeral that I went to when I was writing the book and reaching out to you. And I was trying to recall, like, what was my experience? I was young, maybe five-ish and no one used the terms like dead. Yeah. That, That term wasn't even present in my memory of it. It was like, they're gone passed away maybe but like right yeah gone where are they coming back right like all those things that then come up and so can you speak to that and like what are some of those terms maybe even example of what that might sound like yeah so when I really sit down with families and and I'm supporting them and like how do we talk to the kids about this um I really advise against you using those euphemisms that are confusing which while they can feel like protective to us Um, can lead to a lot of confusion, especially in young children who are maybe encountering death for the first time. Um, And so, yeah, we want to be really intentional and really clear in our language. And what's tricky about that, I think, is that sometimes that feels a little bit blunt. Mm -hmm. The thing about kids is that kids are really concrete. And so the way that I explain it to adults is I say, I'm going to give you some language and like, I also do a lot of assessment. I always like want to pause and say like, I do a lot of assessment with families before I even offer guidance and advice because every family is different. Um, There's a lot of variables to consider, which we can kind of get into. But um, at the heart, I say like, I'm going to offer some language and uh, take take what works, leave the rest. It's going to feel kind of abrupt, um, but that is actually helpful for kids to hear. And so I... I don't avoid using the word death. I don't avoid using the word dying or died. Um, But what I do is I clarify of what that means because a child may be hearing that for the first time or maybe they've heard it before, but don't have an association of what that means. And so, you know, I might say like um, this special person in your life has died. Do you know what it means? When, when we say that, when we say that somebody has died and I, I pause there and I actually give kids the opportunity to share because that's a really helpful place for us to gauge any misconceptions that they might have and to know where we can frame more of our conversation around. Um, and some kind, sometimes kids will be just silent <laughs> and yeah. sometimes they will be like playing with something else and you're like, are they listening? What Do they understand how serious this is? They are listening. They do understand how serious it is and kids will process things through play. And so if they're fidgeting, that's okay. They're listening. Um, and then I go on to say, you know, when somebody dies, 
their body stops working. So what does that actually mean on like a body level? Like our heart, and I put my, I even put my hands in my heart. You can feel your heart beating through your chest. You can feel, if you put your hand in front of your mouth, you can feel your breath coming in and out. So when somebody dies, their body stops working. That means that their heart doesn't beat anymore. They don't breathe or eat or sleep or play or poop. It sounds kind of ridiculous saying that, but these are the things that kids understand about being alive. And then I get to the hard part is that when somebody dies, we don't see them anymore. And then I validate that with the emotion that they're maybe feeling. And that's really hard. And that can feel really sad. And you may see some of the adults around you crying because we're sad about that. And you don't have to, especially in an initial conversation, have all the information. You probably don't have all the information. You certainly don't have all the answers and you don't have a fix it. This is not an area where a fix it exists. And so I always tell people like, we're going to get really comfortable with being uncomfortable here. And we're going to focus on being rather than doing, which is so hard, which is like hard in every way, especially when it comes to this stuff. Um, so I love that real quick. We're going to focus yeah. on being rather than doing, which is something I, I think we could all stand to pull into life more in general. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so hard because I'm really good at doing. Like I can to-do list my way out of anxiety, right? Like I can, I'm so good at doing yeah. and allowing that just the being part is really hard. And I, I think you're right that that's, for me, one of the hardest parts about conversations around death, not finding a silver lining, it's not making something better. It's just the like, this is true right now. And it just, it's an acknowledgement of yeah. like life's hardest reality. Yeah. And, and when you're doing it from like a parenting perspective or a perspective of caring for young kids, is it you're not only experiencing your own grief, you're bearing witness to your child's grief and that can be excruciating. Yeah, I think so many of us haven't learned how to grieve. Oh yeah. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. It's so frustrating to spend the money and effort to buy your kids clothes just to have them grow out of the size within a week or have your kids complain that they itch, pinch, or just aren't comfortable. If you're with me on this, you've got to check out Posh Peanut. Their sensitive skin-friendly clothes are made from viscose from bamboo, stretch with your kid as they grow, 
and they're also made to last. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, super cute clothing for kids and families. It is the softest thing, y'all. The design is all done in-house with different patterns, and it came in the mail, and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to wear this for myself every day. Their Lux women's pajamas and robes were all that I wanted to wear postpartum for nursing and hanging out on the couch with Mila. It helps so much that the fabric is breathable and chemical-free, which means they're delicate against Mila's sensitive skin too. And I totally get why Posh Peanut is loved by over 1 million parents. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code VILLAGE. Go to poshpeanut.com village and use promo code VILLAGE for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com village, promo code VILLAGE. Yeah. yeah. Well, you said it at the beginning, you were talking about that kind of the foundations for what we understand and how we cope with loss were formed in our own childhoods, which is why it makes it so important that we are intentional and thoughtful about supporting our own little friends and kids and people in our community with this stuff. Yeah, it's huge. So when you, you know, the example I feel like that comes up a lot in our village is like a grandparent that's dying or maybe even a pet that died um we recently had someone who was diagnosed with cancer and they were like how do I talk about this but most commonly the ones that come up in our village are around a grandparent um or an animal and so I think it's really helpful that like concrete here's what we're going to say and I'm wondering, like, there's a part of me, I love that you acknowledged the adult sadness and like, you might notice this and here's what's going on. And I want to fill in the part there after of like, and it's okay for us to feel sad Mm -hmm. when, when my body, when I'm ready to move out of sadness, when I'm ready to stop feeling sad, I'm going to X, Y, and Z so that the child knows it's not their responsibility to take your sadness oh, away. Yeah. And that you do have tools for that. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I, what I um, encourage families to do too, is like to couch a lot of those conversations in the love and safety that kids really, really need, which is t- for them to actually hear who's going to be taking care of me. Like kids need to know, like, how does this impact me? Um, and so who's going to step up and do the caretaking, like, so that they know, like, they are still going to be taken care of, like, mommy can be sad. And mommy can still take care of you. Mommy has things that she does to help take care of her so that mommy can take care of you. Right. Yeah. Or if it is a parent that's sick, or mm-hmm. some, a caregiver in their life, I think that makes total sense of like, just that primal reaction for a child, they're dependent on us to stay alive. Yeah. And that's different for us as adults, right? Like we're not dependent on others to stay alive. I mean, whatever, there's a broader discussion there, but like (laughs) logistically speaking, um, they, they are, they are dependent on us to put food on the table, to keep a roof over their head, et cetera. And so being able to acknowledge that, I love that note. Um, What are things if we know, like, say it is that, you know, someone is sick and we're not sure of those answers of like, well, are they going to die or what is going to happen next, et cetera, or even like the, 
I'm thinking of the person who reached out who has a friend with cancer that it was, or the mom has cancer, the prep around like, here's what you might expect and there are unknowns. There's a lot of uncertainty that still exists. Yeah. How do you cope with that? Um, I like to focus on what do we know right now? And so like the example of cancer, here's what we know about the cancer. And for cancer and really a lot of different kinds of diseases too, um, I really emphasize that that's like a big umbrella word for hundreds of different kinds of diseases. Two people with cancer can have two really different experiences with it. Even two people with the same kind of cancer can have two really different experiences with it. And the reason I emphasize that with kids is because kids can, even young kids, can get a lot of information and maybe misinformation from a lot of different places. Um, They're hearing from a friend at school who had a grandparent with cancer, or if they're old enough, they're hopping on Google to do their own Google research. And you really want them to know that your job, and this is true for, you know, any kinds of diseases or like this uncertainty, your job as their safe adult is to give them the accurate, honest information about what's going on with you. So you can say like, I have a whole team of nurses and doctors and researchers, and they're all helping me understand that what's going on here. So if you hear anything that's confusing or worrying to you, I want you to come back to me or so-and-so because we have the answers about what's going on with me. You're building trust, right? You're saying, Mm -hmm. I am going to tell you what's going on. I want to make sure you have the right information. First of all, that's for a little bit older kids. But then, yeah, so to go on to that piece about uncertainty is like, here's what we know right now. I don't have all the answers of like what's going to happen next. If anything, here's what I believe. You can say, here's what I believe. Here's what I'm hopeful for. If anything changes, I will let you know. And that's where you hold on to things because we're not going to make any promises that none of us can keep. I can't promise anything about what's going to happen to me next. Um but what I can say is that as as we get more information, that you're part of this too. Yeah, you're in the know here. You're in the know. Yeah, I love that. Um, I was thinking of, you know, as you were chatting, the word like sick popped up for me. Yeah. Just this morning, I'm currently pregnant. And um, I thank you. And I went to take a prenatal and Sage, my little guy was like, mama take medicine mama sick and I was like oh no right and so like was breaking down I was like oh how do I explain this like sometimes I compared it to his vitamin d like sometimes we take medicine when we're not sick that helps our body stay strong but I was thinking of that word sick of like we use it a lot right and that difference between like sick and dying like if we know somebody has a terminal illness right Versus like, I'm sick with a stomach bug and how generic that term is. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's why like going back to that idea of like avoiding euphemisms or being really clear and intentional about your language, that's where that's important. And um, either avoiding using the word sick or like specifying what kind of sick that you are. This is not the kind of sick that you catch, like a little sick, like a cold or a tummy bug, um, or this isn't contagious. And what does it mean if something's contagious, right? means that you can catch it through germs. And gosh, we talk a lot about that these days. Um, that that's why you use the word cancer. You know, a lot of adults will ask me like, should I even use the word cancer? Like, yeah, you should be. And and this is why, and we're going to even specify it even more 
from there. So even if kids like, and, and here's the thing is that like kids don't necessarily have the same baggage that we have as adults with that language. So I hear the word cancer and my mind goes to the 10 people that I know in my life who have been impacted by cancer and what my personal experiences were with them. Kids aren't going to have that. And so like we get bogged down in, in some of that language sometimes, um, but it's important for kids to hear that. And, and like I said, to then specify it even more so like, so kind of cancer and they don't need to like all the cellular details, sure. you know, depending on their developmental status. But um, I think that they need to hear the language that one, they're going to hear around them anyway, but two, to distinguish it from the kind of sick that they can get when they have a stomach ache and, and to really say that. Yeah. I think and, that's, that's so helpful. It's yeah. Just front of my, I've been sick as I'm growing this tiny human. And so it's coming up um, on our recent vacation. Sage also was sick and he threw up at our Airbnb, beach Airbnb, he calls it. And so anytime we talk about mama's feeling sick, I'm going to go lay down. My belly feels sick. And he's like, throw up beach Airbnb, mama lay down. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay. We have to go into some specifics here. You're not going to get it. Whatever. Yeah. I think that that is so helpful that like concrete it's breaking down the science, right? Like, and I think this is where I think you hit the nail on the head of like our emotions are going to be different around this than theirs because we have context around that science. We have narratives that are formed around that science that kids don't have yet. Yeah. Um, and for them, it reminds me of like Jane Lindholm's podcast, but why? Like we're breaking down the science yep. of what's going on. I don't know about you, but when I scroll through Instagram or I'm tuning into podcasts and diving into parenting resources, resources for myself as a teacher. I can feel overwhelmed. Like, where do I start? I need a guide for what this looks like in practice. And I don't want something that's one size fits all because every child is different, right? And like, if you have multiple children, if you're a teacher, you know that it's not one size fits all. Or if you have seen what works for your sister-in-law or your best friend or your neighbor and you're like, oh my gosh, my child does not respond to that. That is how I felt. And then we created the Collaborative Emotion Processing Method. It is a guide for building emotional intelligence. And y'all, there are five components of the SET method. One is about how to respond to the kids and what it looks like to have adult-child interactions. The other four are about us. Because I don't know about you, but I did not grow up getting these tools. I did not grow up with them. I didn't grow up in this household where... I was taught tools for self-awareness and self-regulation and how to do emotion processing work. And now as a parent and as a teacher, I'm supposed to teach those skills to a tiny human, but we can't teach what we don't know. And so my first book, Tiny Humans, Big Emotions, is here to support you. You can head to www.seedandso.org book and snag tiny humans, big emotions today. This is a game changer. It's going to build these skills with you for you so that you can do this work alongside building these skills for your tiny humans so that they can grow up with a skill set for self-awareness, for regulation, for empathy, for social skills, for intrinsic motivation. 
a skill set of emotional intelligence so that they can navigate all the things that come their way in life. Snag Tiny Humans, Big Emotions at seedandsow.org slash book. So what, what about when we inevitably mess this up and we like say too much or we don't say we enough? Will, so. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so like, then what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I always tell people, uh, and like when I'm having these conversations with folks, like, well, it's uh, obviously we're talking about real life experiences. So it's, it's emotional, but it's even more emotional when you have your kid in front of you. So like the logic of what we talk about and like everything that we've planned for and prepared for, it really does go out the window when you're sitting in front of your tiny human because yeah, it's, it becomes hundred percent emotional. So you will muddle your way through. That's my favorite line. I use it all the time. You will muddle your way through. You will circle back because this is not a one and done conversation. It is an ongoing conversation that really is ongoing throughout somebody's entire life. Like I am integrating and making meaning of my losses at 40 years old that I was in a different way than I was at seven years old and will continue to do so. So, you know, the, the conversations are hard enough without putting the pressure on yourself to say it exactly perfectly. And I go back to that Maya Angelou quote of, you know, um, and here I'm going to paraphrase, but people are going to forget what you said. They're not going to forget how you make them feel. It's the sense of safety that you are creating around your child that has the lasting impact. They're not going to remember exactly the words you use. So you will probably say something that you are like, oh, I want to come back and rephrase this. And it's actually good for kids to hear that. Like it's good for, it's good for the circle backs. Yeah. I love that too. And I think it then also gives them time to process and to think about it and whatever, and then to kind of come back to the drawing table with what's coming up for them. Absolutely. I even like that as part of the conversation. I was thinking back when my my husband's parents got divorced when he was like six or seven. And when they told him, they told him, they sat down and told him together. And then they asked, do you have any questions? And he said, no. And he said, can I go to my room now? And they said, yeah. And you can ask questions anytime. And so then he left and he drew a picture and he very much processes through art. And um, then, but they like left that open of like, you can ask questions anytime that, that, pressure also off of the child of like this is a one and done conversation and I think when we come back to the table and we talk about it more and we talk about it again it creates that safety around the conversation yes yeah it's like not a taboo thing to talk about here I'm Margaret and I'm Amy and together we host the podcast what fresh hell laughing in the face of motherhood Margaret I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? 
And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought provoking experts and friends at Mindful Mama. We know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Right, right. I always say you're inviting and you're not requiring. So the invitation is always there. It's never forced because kids are going to come and go from it as they need to. And kids are just so brilliant about like doing that naturally, um, either through their words or more often through like behaviors and and play so where we see it. And um, yeah, so the invitation is always there. I think that part can be so uncomfortable too. And you like have like this heart to heart. You like to talk about this really deep thing with kids and then they just like turn to play immediately. Yeah. And it's like, did, wait, what? Like, are we, are you, are you good? Like, did that sink in? You know, like in that, I think for me, I have to really work to then regulate in the moment yeah. because I have a desire to like, be like, did you get that? Like, do you understand this? You know, like to have that finality, I I have a desire for that. There's a part of me that feels uncomfortable than just like very quickly transitioning to play or to the story they're telling me or to whatever and out of the hard conversation. Yes. It's, it's, can be a jarring feeling for the adult who again is coming in with their own emotional experience of it and yet it's exactly what kids need to do and I I will even tell families like if they have multiple kids in the family I will say you might have like there's four kids you might have four different responses um and no response is wrong yeah like kids do what they can with what they've got yeah and we all process differently we all process differently yeah. I'm the one who's like sitting at the table having I have 7 million questions. I want to talk more about it. And I married and birthed a human who's like, I'm going to go take time and space and play and do my own thing and then come back to the table. And I'm like, oh, but let me fill all that silence with my questions. Yeah. Right. Like it's so hard for me. I'm sure the really adult work comes in That's really, right. really strong to like, be like, okay, what is this about what I need or about what they need? And um, yeah, that's hard to do. And I always tell families too, I was like, you know, you're going to get a question four days later or four weeks later out of nowhere in the car as you're driving to the grocery store at what feels like the most random time. Cars, I feel like are where everything comes up <laughs> because you're not making eye contact. You're not, I don't know, a lot of powerful conversations can happen in a car. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or even just like the things that they connect, right? We're like, yeah. Last year, Zach snapped a fly with a towel and killed it in our house. And it was a big conversation. Sage was very surprised about what happened. It was a loud sound. He had a lot of, there was a lot of processing that occurred around that instance. And then like totally forgot about it. A neighborhood dog that walks by our house and Sage loves 
died around Christmas time. And when we told Sage, he was like, like the fly. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Like in his brain, his context for death was this fly. Yeah. Now it's fly and Henry dog. Like that's right. And it's like, those layers will continue to build. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's why it's actually like that proactive, like just normalizing conversation about death from a young age is actually really helpful for kids. So that was one of my next questions for you. Like we know that death will occur, right? And we know that like death or illness and suffering will occur around them in some capacity throughout their life. We don't get to know when or how or who, what that's going to look like. (laughs) (laughs) So, So hard. But what can we do as parents, as teachers, as caregivers, uh, like ahead of time to like lay these foundations of resilience, of support, of normalizing conversations around death. Yeah. Well, one, there's so many great, I mean, I'm a big fan of picture books and there's so many great picture books out there that talk about this at, for at different developmental ages for kids. And it can be um, really straightforward. It can be more like through metaphor. Um, but there's a lot, there's a lot of books out there. Um, and if I just, you, if you send us your list, like your favorite yeah. list, we can share it as a link. Yeah, on, link it. yeah. We can link it out on, on the blog post for this episode. That will be great. Yeah. I'll definitely do that. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of books out there and I just try to keep some of those in our, I'm thinking about my own parenting experience. Like I keep some of those in just our at home library and that's how some of the conversations have naturally come up. Also just being curious about nature and observing when, you know, you go for a walk outside and you see um, the, an dead, wor- the dead worm we just saw on the <laughs> sidewalk. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like there's just, there's, it's, a, there's an abundance of opportunity to be curious, to observe, to naturally start a conversation that doesn't necessarily have, not to say it doesn't have an emotional charge, but um, again, like it probably has more of an emotional charge for us as adults who are like thinking about it in a bigger concept um, rather than for kids who are kind of piecing together, what is this world and what is, what is this all about? Yeah. And I think it's like lower stakes, right? Like it's how I feel about practicing navigating frustration when he's building a block tower versus, and it's the, the challenge changes, but the emotion stays the same, right? So if the, if death and the conversation on death is, going to stay the same or relatively similar. It's just the context that'll change. Right. Um, and it feels lower stakes to talk about a worm on the sidewalk than it does to talk about grandma. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. I, I love that advice of just like practicing at these like lower stakes. One question that comes up a lot is like when they hear about this, especially when it comes to like a person dying, then that question of like, are you going to die? Am I going to die? Yeah. And then as a parent, and because I've had that question and like, I do this work and you feel like I should probably have an answer to that. And when it came up in my own household, I was like, no, no one's going to die ever. (laughs) Um, Again, I think it goes back to like not making promises that, you know, we can't keep, you know, right now I feel really healthy and strong. 
if anything changes, of course, I would let you know. Um, but, you know, not, not saying no, I'll never die. But I mean, I'm, I'm with my own daughter, I'm realistic. I say, you know, someday everybody will die. I hope that that's not going to be for a long time. And I have no reason to believe that, you know, that it will be for a long time. Um, but if anything changes, I would, of course, let you know. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And, I, you know, kids, for the most part, will by and large accept that. There is some natural, like, developmental milestones where kids get more into asking questions about death. And, like, it, again, it really is jarring for adults. It's a very natural part of development, even if there's no personal connection to it. And it's a perfect opportunity to have those you know, conversations without, like you said, the lower stake conversations, but, you know, I feel like five is that first developmental milestone ish, you know, where that starts to really come up. And then I think like seven, eight, nine, like it comes up in a different way because again, kids are incorporating more understanding about it. Like the, that it's universal, that it's irreversible, that, um, it's, you know, there's the finality of it. Like, so there's different developmental stages where there is just naturally a more lean in to that conversation. Um, and it doesn't necessarily indicate that the child is having a lot of anxiety about it. I mean, that's certainly something you could ask somebody about if you were concerned about mm -hmm. that. If they were really focusing on it, unable to sleep, really going back to it again and again, but questions will come up and there will be a little bit of like natural, healthy curiosity and a little bit of fear and uncertainty about it. Cause that's, yeah. Cause it's scary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, I would say there should be some fear and uncertainty yeah. about it. Right. Like just the other day we were waiting, the ice cream truck was coming around the corner and we could hear it. And so we're waiting in the front yard, us and our neighbors. And then Sage just like started walking, like into the street and I like pulled him back and was like whoa and he like he was startled and yeah. I but I want that I want him yeah. to feel fear when he's walking into the street and could get hit by a car right, right? and so I think there there fear is not a it's not a bad emotion and I think it gets a really no. bad rap uh, <laughs> and it's our discomfort I think personally yeah. our own discomfort of being in yeah. fear and allowing fear and not trying to problem solve it away uh, that can, that can come up there. All right. My last question that I feel like I, I reached out to our village members and was like, what comes up for you? And the last thing that really folks reached out about was this idea of what happens when you die. And I, I don't expect you to have like one answer because it's so cultural <laughs> and there's so much that I knew. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but like how to answer that with yeah. kids and like maybe in comes your religious beliefs or yeah. whatever there. Um, but that that's a question a lot of kids come to the table with, like, what happens when you die? Of course, I come to the table with it too. I, I wish <laughs> sure. I had certainty around it. Um, yeah, no, I think that you're right. It, that's very much a personal uh, response. And there's not one way of answering that. And generally, how I support people in answering that is, well, here's what I believe. Or here's what, you know, our family thinks about, and you might believe something different and that's okay. Um, and again, a lot of books out there that talk about different, either religious, cultural, personal beliefs that people have. But I, I use that as an invitation to hear what the child thinks too. Like sometimes 
there's some really powerful and magical places that their minds go as well. And it's an invitation to be a little bit more curious on our end, again, to, to avoid that um, trap of like wanting to fill the silence or to have the answers to everything. And it's, it's okay with a lot of this, not just this, not just with this question, but with any of them to say like, that's a really good question. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Here's what I believe. Here's what I think about. What about you? What do you believe? What do you think about? And that, of course, going to look at how you respond to that is going to be different depending on how old the child is, what, like the context in which they're asking and what you truly believe. But um, there's not, I don't see there being a wrong answer to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love I love responding to kids as often as we can in a way that doesn't give them the answer, but instead invites curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. And this is with all of the stuff that we're talking about today, like this is a place to do that. Yeah. I love that. Allie, you're a dream boat. Thank you so much. <laughs> I am so grateful you. For, for you, for your knowledge. I'm excited for people to get to read your excerpt in the book. I feel like it's, it for me was so, it's so helpful to have concrete language and examples of what to say and how to navigate this. Because like you said, we're going to come to the table like fraught with emotion. And, oh, boy, yes. and it's really hard to do that without a script or without some sort of guidance and reminders. Where can people find you? Sure. So um, I am no longer working at the hospital. Um, I have where I was working as a child life specialist. Um, I am now in private practice as a psychologist. So I have a private practice in Shelburne, Vermont. And I have a website that <laughs> I am not a tech person, but my website is a work in progress and it's alliewaltine.com. Awesome. We'll link to that too in uh, the blog post for this episode. Thank you so much for sharing your brilliance with us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the transcript at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community over on Instagram hanging out every day with more free content? Come join us at seed.and.so, S-E-W. Take a screenshot of you tuning in, share it on the gram, and tag seed.and.so to let me know your key takeaway. If you're digging this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We love collaborating with you to raise emotionally intelligent humans. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.